So in this next part of our service, I want to give some introductory comments um, to Psalm 24 and prepare us um, for a time of confession of our sin and a time of uh, hearing the good news of the gospel, which we so desperately need to hear again and again. So this is a little different than we normally do. So if you're new with us, just relax and follow along. This is not exactly, it's going to be new to our folks too. Um, so last week, after the worship service, one of our dads and, a da and his daughter um, came up to me and uh, they said that toward the end of the service, uh, when they were going to try to slip out of the, their row of chairs, um, they were kind of stuck. There were people this way and there were people this way. Couldn't get out. And then uh, they said, the, the daughter said, uh, then I tried to take a step once I got an opportunity and I couldn't move my foot. It was stuck. And I looked down and sure enough, dad was standing on her shoestring. <laughs> you know how dads do. Um, and she said, I was stuck. I couldn't move. And so she said with a big smile, she looked at her dad and said, well, guess I'm going to have to pursue Jesus. I'm stuck. Now, if you were here last week, you understand that she perfectly understood last week's message. Um, and the application was immediate and different, but she understood what was going on. And I loved that. And um, it, it remind, It's a reminder that what we're talking about this summer, the theme that I want us to think about together is along for us to continue to be a people, people individuals, and a people as Mountain Fellowship who are on mission, on a journey to pursue Jesus with Jesus. Um, and last week, we looked at Psalm 120, the very beginning of, those, of that playlist that God gave, that playlist of traveling songs that God gave his people. And Psalm 120 started with a prayer of the pilgrim saying, uh, in my distress, I cried out to the Lord and he answered me and delivered me. He was in distress. And I told you last week that that meant that he was actually in the press. He was stuck between a rock and a hard place. Fat man squeeze at Rock City. And the things that were pressing on him that we talked about last week were causing him to cry out in prayer to God. So, that's what our friend was talking about. She said, I was stuck, so I pursued Jesus. Because I said, when you're in the press, it presses out a prayer of pursuit of God. But the things that he was talking about, the psalmist last week was talking about, were pressing on him, were, were things on the outside. Things that were going on in his world. Um, he said that he lived in a land of lies. Everybody around him was lying. And he, and he just, he, he hungered and thirsted for the truth. He wanted to know what was true, and so that pressed him to pursue God. And we, we live in that world today. We talked about it last week. But also, uh, he lived in a world of broken relationships. There was conflict everywhere. Everyone's angry. He says, I want to be at peace they want war. Sounds familiar to our time today. And that conflict was 
pressing him to pursue God. Well, this week, what's pressing us to pursue God is, is not so much external as what's internal, what's going on in our inner worlds. Um, and so Psalm 24 is David again um, talking about this journey toward pursuing God. And if you'll notice, on page two, the preparation for confession, I've got that middle part of Psalm 24 printed out for us, verses three to six. So David's already acknowledged in verses one and two that the whole earth is the Lord's. It's all his, and everything in it, and everyone in it is his. He is the king. And at the end of the psalm, we see, yes, he is the king of glory, the strong and mighty, victorious king who's defeated his enemies. But knowing that, in the middle, David asked this question. So who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Who's going to be able to get into the presence of this king who's king over all things and all people? Who's going to be able to get into the presence of this glorious king who's the God of angel armies who has defeated all his enemies? Who can ascend his hill and stand in his holy place? How are we going to get to his presence? And he answers, verse 4, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who pursue him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And I wonder, what, what made David ask this question? Who's qualified? Who's able? Who's allowed to pursue this God, to seek the face of the God of Jacob? Um, it's got to be somebody who's got clean hands and a pure heart, who doesn't lift up his soul to what is false, who doesn't swear deceitfully. This is a holy person. And what would, what would make David ask those questions as he thinks about pursuing this great and glorious king in his place where he reigns. Well, some scholars believe, some Bible commentators believe, that this psalm is a reflection on uh, a historical event in David's life when David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem uh, after he had become king over all of Israel. So, it's important for me to give you just a little bit of background about that so that you understand why he's asking this question and why we need to ask the question, who shall ascend, who shall pursue the presence of this God? Are we qualified? Are we able? Are we allowed? Um, so bear with me. Let, me. let me give you a little bit of background, and then I'm going to take you to 2 Samuel 6, which describes this journey of the Ark of the Covenant from Bala Judah to Jerusalem. So the Ark of the Covenant was a golden box that Moses had commanded, that God had commanded Moses to create that would, that would go into the very center room of the temple, the Holy of Holies. So the holiest place of the holy place would contain 
this gold box that had a lid with gold-winged seraphs or angels on top of it. And inside the box would be uh, a copy of the Ten Commandments. There would be Aaron's rod that God had made sprout leaves at one point to remind his people of his presence and his faithfulness. And then it also had uh, a, a bowl or a, a little bit of the manna that God had rained down uh, on his people in the wilderness. All of these things, all of these objects were to remind God's people of his faithfulness, but also of their faithful, faithlessness because they broke those Ten Commandments. They grumbled at the provision that God had made for them in, on their journey in the wilderness. So that's the Ark of the Covenant, and um, it had traveled with God's people in the tabernacle, this great big tent, temple, tent, um, and God's presence would sit on the top of that lid, um, and the lid was called the mercy seat, and God's presence would sit on top of that mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the camp of God's people, and the glory of God looked like a pillar of fire by night and a cloud of glory by day, so they would always know that the presence of God was in their midst. And this is the Ark that's not in the capital city. <coughs> it's missing, not really missing, but that's not where it ought to be. And what David wants to do, now that he's king and he's defeated the enemies, the ark was currently, had been in the hands of the Philistines, he's defeated them, but he wants to move that ark uh, to the highest point in the highest city, the capital city, Jerusalem. And he's built a tent there, and he wants to put it there, and he intends to build a temple for it later. <coughs> Forgive me. My sinus infection has got my cough worse this week. Um, but this is what David wants to do. He wants to get the ark to the highest point so that people would remember that God is present with his people. And so he's all excited about that. And here's what happens. 2 Samuel 6. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah, which is where the ark was. As scholars today think it was about a, a little city town about 14 miles west of Jerusalem. And went to Baal of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, who sits enthroned on the cherubim, the angels on top of the seat. Oh, and I forgot to tell you, it's called the mercy seat. Once a year, the high priest would bring the, the blood of a sacrifice for the sins of God's people and sprinkle it on top of the mercy seat. Um, again, to remind the people of the faithfulness of their God who covers, bless your heart, thank you so much, who covers their faithlessness with his mercy. Thank you. So, and it's called the throne of God. He's enthroned between the cherubim, on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart 
So they, they knew this was special, so they built a new cart for it and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and his brother, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and his brother went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs, with lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of uh, Nakan, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. So they're worried this, this ark of the covenant is going to tumble off of the uh, cart. So he reaches out to steady it. And you probably know this story. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. What? It's because when God instructed Moses to build the ark of the covenant, he also instructed him how it was to be carried. It was only to be carried by the Levites, the priestly uh, family. And they, were, they had these poles that went through loops on the four corners of the box. And they were to lift it up and put it on their shoulders and walk it. So even their careful brand new cart and their careful Uzza standing there to keep it was not in line with what God had said in his law. And so the Lord struck Uzza down there because of his error and he died there beside the ark of God and David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah and David was afraid of the Lord that day and he said how can the ark of the Lord come to me so hear that question David sees oh no this this God is so holy and, and, and we, even in our best efforts to try to, to treat him uh, worthily and his, uh, this symbol of his presence worthily, is not enough. And he struck him down. David's like, how are we ever going to do this? How are we ever going to have the presence of God in the city of God, in the midst of the people of God? How are we going to do this? How will the ark ever come to me? His desire was not anything except that God would reign from Jerusalem with David under him. And he, he, he just, and I, I think maybe that prompts his question in Psalm 24, was, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? This God is so holy, so fearsome, so great. Who among us is going to be, even this good man who's trying to do the right thing is not holy enough. Who among us is holy enough to stand in the presence of this God? And so David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So just having the ark at his house, God blessed and, and he and his family and all that he owned flourished. And so David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city 
of David with rejoicing. Now this time, it doesn't say it here, but if you go to First Chronicles uh, 15, we learn that David said, okay, I understand what we did uh, wrong. I understand Uzzah's error, my error. So he went to the Levites, and he said, we need to do this the way the Lord had said to do it. And so they got the poles, they got the Levites, and they were going to, this time they're carrying it the right way, the way that God had told them to carry it. Now listen to what it says. And when those who bore the ark on the poles had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. Every six steps, they stopped and they sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal, and David and they worshipped. And First Chronicles tell us that he amassed this even bigger uh, worship team and, and choir and, and band to play. So this is this is a traveling worship service, um, and we don't know if it's still about 14 miles that they have to go to get there, but regardless, every six steps, this is how serious David took it. Um, he was serious and joyful and excited the first time, but he had come into contact with the holiness of God in a way that he had forgotten, and so he was going to sacrifice and worship that ark all the way to his resting place in Jerusalem. Now, I think maybe this is, this is what uh, is behind David's question. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in the holy place of this God? Who, who, can, who can bear his holiness? You have to have clean hands as a you have to have a pure heart, and it's not just the external uh, obedience. It's, it's a heart obedience. It has to be pure and goes all the way, drills down to this, who does not lift up his soul to what is false. Doesn't lift his soul up to what's empty is what, what it says, to an idol. Does not swear deceitfully. David, in another psalm, Psalm 15, asked a similar question. And I have that printed for you, too, verse 3. Let, will you read it with me? Um, I'll read the, the odd-numbered verses, and you read the even-numbered verses back to me. Psalm 15. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. David was so, had, had such a contact with the holiness of God that it drove him to ask these questions. Who, who's allowed? Who's able? Who's qualified? Who's good enough? And so what I want us to do in the next few minutes as I lead us is to use these questions and to use these descriptions 
of the person who's qualified to be in the presence and to pursue the presence and to ascend to the presence of this holy God. Uh, to use these uh, as a mirror for our own hearts. Um, and to ask ourselves, because here, here's how I was convicted this week as I was studying this. Because I know the good news, and it's coming in a few minutes, hang on. Because I know the good news that really the secret to this is Jesus is this person who is able and allowed. And through Jesus, then I am allowed. But because I know that, I, I sometimes uh, become unacquainted with the holiness of God. I forget, I forget who it is I'm dealing with. And, and some of us have more sensitive consciences, and some of you, you can't ever forget the holiness of God. You feel, you feel the weight of it all the time, and you feel the weight of your sin constantly. There's others who, who are not as sensitive to that, or who are, who are so rejoicing in what Jesus has done for you that you, and you should uh, not be always weighed down by the heaviness of your sin. But the truth is, we forget. <laughs> we forget. Uh, we, we love that we're saved, but we forget what we've been saved from. Um, we want to be in the presence of God, but we, we forget uh, who's allowed to be there. We forget the wonder that we would be allowed to be there. So if you would, I'd spend a few minutes looking at uh, verse 4 in... Psalm 24, in verses 2 through 5 of Psalm 15, um, and ask, look into this mirror and see, does this describe you? Now, let, let, me, let me help you with Psalm 15 a little bit, because some of the language is not the way we talk, but. Um, verse 2 is pretty clear. You walk, you live blamelessly. You, you do what's right. And what you say in your heart is always true. Verse 3, you don't slander with your tongue. In other words, you, you don't say, True or unthing, true or true things about another person. Um, I was I was studying that particular phrase because, uh, as one who lives by his tongue, so to speak, I I struggle with my words. Um, and as I was digging into the Hebrew behind all that, it's interesting that that word slander is related to the concept of spying out. In other words, as one commentator said, are you a person who spies out things to tell about other people? You're looking for bad things about people. You do no evil to a neighbor with your tongue or otherwise. You don't take up a reproach 
against your friend. Again, that's another, that's another thing about your words. Are you, are you looking for reasons to unduly criticize even your friends? Um, verse 4 is weird uh, to us. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord? Well, Verse 4, we're, really, we're all really good at that these days. This is what we do when we watch the news and read social media and, and especially uh, when it comes to politics. We, we in, in our eyes, vile people are despised. That's not what he's talking about. He's not encouraging you to hate sinners, okay? What he's talking about is your values. What do you value? Who are your heroes? Is it vile people? Are they your heroes? Or are your heroes people who fear the Lord? Who are probably not people on TV or the movies or social media. They're the quiet, faithful people who love God and love people wherever God's put them. Um, he's, he's asking, do you, do you value the right kind of character in others and in yourself? He's not saying, are you a hater <laughs> of all the sinners out there, okay? He goes on. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. Um, this, is, this does not mean uh, you make promises and you keep them even when they're foolish. This is, are you the kind of person who keeps your word even when it's going to cost you? Um, Verse 5, he does not put out his money at interest. That doesn't mean you can't be a banker. Um, this, these are verses about taking care of the poor in the community, that you're not going to take advantage of people. Um, in the Old Testament, they called it usury, where they would uh, exact interest on a loan to a fellow Hebrew that was exorbitant. <laughs> uh, so they took advantage of the poor instead of helping them. Uh, basically, verse 5 is just, how are, you, how are you in money? It's your relationship to money and to the needy. So that let that help you a, a little bit as you look through those verses to, to kind of apply it to yourself. So just take, I'm just going to give you a moment in silence. Look through those verses, maybe if you're bold and you want to, circle a couple of the, or underline a couple of the phrases that you particularly, that particularly sting for you. friends, as we look into this mirror, um, it exposes us and says, um, unless there's a purity of behavior, a pure, perfected behavior that comes from a pure and perfected belief, in other words, I lift up my soul to what is not false, but who is true. I lift my soul up to God in faith and belief, and that produces in me 
a, a behavior that, that flows from a relationship with this true and holy God. He said, you, you shall be holy as I am holy. The standard is unbelievable. And it's no wonder that David would be driven uh, by his brushing against the holiness of God in a fresh way. It's no wonder that he would ask, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Who would, would sojourn? Who, who would be allowed to visit and be a guest in his tent? And, and then, much less, who would be able to dwell there on his holy hill? As you think about that, and any time you are reflecting on your own heart and your own uh, life and the sin that you find there, um, I want to I give you three wrong responses to these questions of who's qualified, who shall ascend, who's allowed to be in the presence of God, and three right responses. And then um, I'm going to let you respond one more time in silence and um, and then we're going to sing a couple of joyful songs about the grace of God um, so keep your bulletin handy I'm going to use the verses that are in the assurance of grace section as well but three wrong responses to this conviction that you feel when you read these verses which are only representative there, there are other things that are required of us if we are going to live in the presence of God. But three wrong responses. One is that you would look at these things and you would just have a God-denying apathy. You would just say, well, the question doesn't matter who, who's allowed and qualified to live in the presence of God. Who cares? That's what apathy basically is. There's, there's just no passion about it, no desire about it. So that could be one response you have um, to what you're reading here. You're like, why, why are you people getting all bent out of shape about whether you measure up enough for God? Who cares? And, and maybe that's, if that's where you are, well then own it. That's where you are. And be honest with yourself. And, but I would, I would plead with you. <laughs> I would plead with you. Um, that if, if we believe what the Bible teaches, and, and maybe you don't, but we believe that God is this holy God, and it's not, there's more to him than uh, his wrath against sin, and that's coming, so keep listening this morning. But I would beg you, don't be apathetic about the question. Don't be apathetic about the question. That would be a wrong response is to just have a God-denying apathy. Another wrong response would be, and, and these next two are where church folks struggle, uh, self-righteous hypocrisy, a self-righteous hypocrisy which says, you know, I'm not perfect in all these, but hey, I'm doing all right, doing pretty well. Well, well if I compare myself to so-and-so, you know, then I'm doing all right. Yeah, I've got this. 
it sounds crass when you say it that way, but um, it's very easy for us to read these and go, these aren't that big a deal. Yeah, yeah. And if I get most of this, God will God will be all right with me. That's a self-righteous hypocrisy. You're not telling the truth about yourself. And then the third wrong response would be a, a self-dependent tenacity. And by that I mean you read these and you go, okay, I, I'm not these. But man, I'm going to do this. I want to do this. And there's this zeal in you that says, this tenacity that says, I'm going to be this person because our world needs these kind of people. Our world's not got many of these people, and I'm going to be one of those, and I'm going to raise my kids to be this kind of person too, and we're going to do this. Let's go. But out of that is a, a self-dependence. It, it's not, uh, see, God is not opposed to God-dependent effort. We're going to get to that in a minute. But he is opposed to self-dependent earning where you think, you look at this and you say, I can do this and I'm going to do it. And that's going to make God happy. So those three responses would be awful responses to what we read God requires for the person who wants to live in his presence. What are the right responses? Well, I remind you that when Jesus showed up in Mark chapter 1, Jesus came preaching the good news that he is this king, he is this king of glory, and he's come, um, he's come to defeat the enemy and rescue his people, and he said the responses that we should have to that good news are repent and believe the good news, uh, repent and believe the good news, and then he said, follow me, so that, that's three right responses, repent, when you read these, admit that apart from Jesus and on your own, you should be, as one writer said, utterly excluded from the safest place on earth, which is the presence of God. That's where the, where the Ark of the Covenant rested in the Holy of Holies in the temple. That's the safest place on earth, although it's the most dangerous person, place on earth for a sinner. But when the priest went in and sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat for his own sins and the sins of his people. You can't get more safe than that. To repent is to admit that apart from Jesus and on your own, you deserve to be excluded from the safest place on earth. You deserve to be excluded from the presence of God. And to repent means to then turn away from those three wrong responses, turn away from denying God and saying, I don't really care about who shall ascend and who can stand in his presence. Turn away from that. Turn away from a self-righteous hypocrisy that says, well, I'm doing all right. I'm at least doing better than my neighbor. Heck, I do this better than my pastor. You probably do. I'm serious. Turn away from that self-righteous hypocrisy and turn away from a self-dependent tenacity that says, I'm going to do this. Watch me, God. Turn away from those responses and admit. Be in despair over your helplessness before the holiness of God. So repent. 
But then as you turn away from all of that, turn to Jesus and believe. Believe, accept with awe and gratitude that Jesus descended to become the answer to those four questions for you. Look at, look at the assurance of grace verses. Jesus said, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man himself. And the, Paul, and the Apostle Paul said, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So accept with joy and awe and gratitude that Jesus descended. He came to earth to become the answer to those four questions for you. He alone has obeyed and done all that Psalm 24 and all that Psalm 15 say qualifies someone to be in the presence of God. He is the only human who's ever lived who has done what is required to live in the presence of God, except that he, did, he came to live that life in your place with joy and awe and gratitude. Thank, thank you, Jesus, that you did this for me. So every time you come back to these psalms, as you read through them and pray through them in your own time with God, let them, let them press out praise from you. Thank you, Jesus, that you did this for me. And accept with joy and gratitude and thanksgiving that he, he died to be the only lamb who takes away our sin by shedding his blood. He's the only one, he's the only one who could pay for our failure to keep these. And accept with joy and gratitude and awe that he was raised from the dead because God accepted his sinless life and his sin-covering death on your behalf, on our behalf. Believe that. Grab it, hold on to it, embrace it for dear life. And believe with joy and gratitude and awe that he ascended through the veil into the presence of God. So when Jesus had lived his perfect life and obeyed all of this, and he was this righteous man that David describes. And when Jesus had died for our unrighteousness, our failure to keep this, and when Jesus was raised from the dead, when he ascended into heaven, it's as if these words were played or, or, or shouted, lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. He's coming. He's coming. He's accomplished it all. He's defeated his enemies. He's coming back home. Who is this king of glory? Shouts someone from the wall of the city. The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. He has just gone through battle for his people against our enemy, sin, Satan, death. Lift up your heads, O gates. And lift him up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? In other words, is he worthy? Is he allowed? He's the Lord of hosts. Jesus is the king of glory. Believe that he did that. Believe that he's there. He is ascended for you. And we are ascended in him. We've, we've been studying in Ephesians uh, over the last year, and remember that in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said, 
that out of his great love with which he loved us, um, Jesus, uh, God raised us up with Christ. He seated us with him in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. We are, those who place their faith in Jesus, are already ascended with him. And therefore, if, if we're attached to him, then we're qualified. The reason you can pursue the presence of Jesus and know that you will get it is because Jesus has already earned it for you. He's already qualified you by making you his. So believe that again, friends. If you've never, ever thought about that or believed that before, I invite you this morning to believe it now. Turn away from depending on yourself and turn to Christ who made us worthy to ascend by his own ascension. And then follow the ascended Jesus. Go up with him to the new heaven and new earth where we're headed, where we're pilgriming to. Ascend by the spirit of Jesus who lives in you. The spirit of Jesus in you will make you a Psalm 24 and Psalm 15 person. All of these qualities he still expects of us, but now his spirit lives within us to create them in us progressively over time. The spirit of Jesus in you will make you a Psalm 24 and Psalm 15 person. And in verse 5 and 6 of Psalm 24, it says that that person will receive blessing from the Lord Because you're in Christ, you receive his blessing, his favor. He will receive righteousness from the God God of his salvation. The spirit of Jesus will begin to work righteousness in you and through you. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And the spirit of Jesus in you will cause you to seek and pursue him, to pursue his presence. So follow the ascended Jesus into that kind of life. And then the Spirit of Jesus will take you on a mission with him to declare and demonstrate to our, nation, our neighbors and the nations in the next generation to declare to them, you and I need nothing more than the presence of God in Jesus. This is, this is our message. You and I need nothing more, nothing more, need, truly need nothing more than the presence of God in Jesus and to declare and demonstrate to them that we deserve nothing less than to be cut off from that presence. But all the good news, we declare and demonstrate that Jesus did everything to bring us to God. He descended and he ascended for that very purpose. And so, we can know that as we go on his mission, as he promised his disciples, right before he was ascended, he said, I will send my spirit, and he will be with you, and he will be in you, and you will be my witnesses. And he said, behold, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He 
is the king of glory. He has all authority. He um, is the one who owns everything on earth and everyone on earth. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it and everyone in it. All authority has been given to the Jesus who lives in you and walks with you on your journey. That means he's in charge of every single detail. But not only is he in charge and authority over it on your behalf, he's also with you. He told the disciples, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's with us as we take this journey, Mountain Fellowship. He's with us as we join him on his mission to invite people onto the path with us as we ascend to him, with him. That's what encouraged me this week. <laughs> Got me fired up and encouraged that um, no matter how difficult sometimes the road gets that the Lord has called us on, um, uh, the stuff going on outside me and the stuff going on inside me has been conquered by the Lord of glory who won the battle on my behalf. Father, would you help us as we continue to worship you with joy in these next two songs to rejoice in the good news of who Jesus is for us and in us um, and as we come to your table to celebrate. In Christ's name I pray, amen.